Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. At the end of chapter 15 of Acts, we see Paul and uh, Barnabas come to this great disagreement. On their first missionary journey, John Mark had quit. Uh, and uh, along the second missionary journey, uh, Barnabas wanted to bring him along, but Paul, it was pretty hard. Paul was pretty hardcore. He didn't like quitters. And so it comes to this great disagreement. And because of this disagreement, this dynamic missionary duo, they, they break apart. And perhaps what may have been an awkward situation, God uses for his glory because Barnabas took Titus along with him and continued doing missionary work. And Paul picked up Silas and began his second missionary journey. And that's where we pick it up at the beginning of Acts chapter 16. They go back to some of the first places, some of the places they had been to on their first missionary journey. Along the way, they pick up Timothy, likely Luke, the writer of Acts. And we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 16, uh, verse 6. Read along with me if you would. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mycenae, they say to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. So let's pause right here. I've got a, a picture of a map coming up here of Paul's missionary journey. So you can see here, Paul begins his missionary journey on the far right there in Antioch, the second one. He goes back up to what would be modern-day Turkey, and he begins going to towns he had been to before, and meeting with believers, and encouraging them, and strengthening the churches. And twice, though, as Paul continues going kind of northern, north through the modern-day Turkey, he wants to preach the gospel, but the Holy Spirit tells him no. That's interesting, isn't it? You imagine if your pastor gets up here next week, and he goes up to preach, and he says, you know what, listen, the Holy Spirit's telling me right now I, I shouldn't preach. So we're going to sit down, and we're going to be done for church. There might be some people like, yeah, let's get to the buffet quick. But that would be pretty odd, wouldn't it? And you imagine Paul here, the apostle, as he was doing the mandate that God had given him to preach the gospel to the lost world and to the, to the, to the, to the known world at that time, two times having God tell him, don't preach there. That would probably be pretty discouraging. I imagine Paul didn't know exactly what was going on. Look at verse 8. And they passing by Mycia came down to Troas. So, uh, sorry, I keep going back and forth with you. Back up to the map. So, we see here, he comes up to the far, kind of the far top left uh, of modern-day Turkey, the port city of Troas. So, he lands there. Imagine probably thinking, what is going on? What does God have for me right now? Not knowing why God wasn't letting him do what God had called him to do. Look at verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia, and prayed him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel to them. So finally he's got his answer. That God comes to him as a vision, and just plain as day says, Listen, here's a guy from Macedonia, and he says, Come over here and help us. So Paul wakes up from that vision, so this is where God wants us to go. And this vision that we call, um, uh, many people call the Macedonian call, and uh, there's, it's all in some old hymns, but this, this point in Paul's life was a pivotal point, not only for the life and ministry of Paul, but for our lives today. Because of God setting this vision and, and not allowing to Paul continue preaching the gospel where he had been, the gospel then goes across the Aegean Sea and lands in this region of Macedonia, will be modern-day Greece. And the gospel begins propagating in that area. And eventually it goes all over Europe. And the continent of Europe at one time was the, uh, was the, the, the hub of Christianity. And because of that, there were some people who left there and came over to America for religious freedom. And the gospel came here. 
And because the gospel came to America, in many ways, we are sitting here tonight in 2023 Southern California in church because Paul went to Macedonia. We've got to kind of think about that sometimes when we look at the at Scripture, that some of these things that happen, they have still eternal impact on us today. And, and, and could imagine if instead of going uh, west, the gospel continued going east over into other parts of Asia. Perhaps today, believers in Asia would be praying for us as an unreached people group, like hopefully we do for many countries in the 1040 window. So we look at verse 11, therefore loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia and the next day to Neapolis. So we, he got on a boat and he stopped this little island and he lands um, in this port city of Neapolis and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city in that part of Macedonia and a colony. We were in that city abiding certain days. So they land uh, in that region of Macedonia, modern day Greece, and they go right away to this uh, important city of Philippi. Uh, this was a city named after Alexander the Great's father, Philip, and it was, uh, it had become a Roman colony. What would happen then, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, when the Romans would conquer, you know, the known world at that time, uh, they would often make large influential cities colonies. And because of that, the people that made up that city would become Roman citizens, would be able to travel freely, and they would get uh, some tax breaks and things like that. We all love tax breaks, right? And it would be an influential city. And that was often where Paul went on his missionary journeys, is he would go to a large city, a place where commerce would flow in. And so, as the gospel would, would, would uh, as he would reach people with the gospel in that city, oftentimes they would take it, and they would leave and go back to their home areas, and the gospel would continue. And we're going to be introduced here in the city of Philippi, in the beginnings of the church at Philippi. Uh, we're going to see three different people that are reached through the life and ministry of Paul, and hopefully we can take something uh, out of these three people uh, this evening. The first person that we see is Lydia. <clears throat> the first person we're introduced to is Lydia, and I call her the spiritually interested. Look there in verse 13. So Paul arrives there, and look at verse 13, and on the Sabbath we went out of the city by Riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So pop quiz, we're Sunday night. Where would Paul normally go when he would go to a new city? Temple? Synagogue, right? So your pastor is on it, man, on it tonight. Temple of the synagogue, right? Why would he do that? Because as a learned Jew, he would go there and he would have, be able to have an audience. And he would be able to debate. And the Bible says many times when we talk about Paul, he was reasoning with them, right? So he's having this intellectual, theological debate as he's proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. But we see here in Philippi that on the first Sabbath day, he didn't go to uh, the synagogue. So likely that means there weren't enough Jewish men to make up a synagogue in the city of Philippi, but he must have heard that there was these women that were going out and praying faithfully. So verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God. So we've got this woman Lydia and the seller of purple. We get an idea that, uh, that she had this business of making dyeing this cloth, and it would be uh, for people that had a lot of money that could buy this. And she was not from Philippi originally. She was there probably as a business person. But we see that she worshiped God. She heard us, Paul and Silas, testifying about Jesus, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me, be faithful to the Lord. Come to my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So a God worshiper finally understands the grace of Jesus. I don't know how long that Lydia and this group of women were going out every Sabbath day to the river and praying. They didn't have a, 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 a rabbi to lead them in worship. They didn't have a synagogue to go into worship. But yet they were faithfully worshiping the Creator God of heaven faithfully every Sabbath. And then when Paul comes and he gives them the truth about who Jesus is, it's like the light goes on. Aren't there people around us? Haven't you ever uh, uh, seen uh, someone maybe in your own family uh, that was, they, they know about God, they worship God, but then when they hear the truth about Jesus, it's like something clicks and the light, uh, the light goes on because the Bible says the, the Lord opened her heart. So she gets saved. 
Not only that, she gets baptized, and then her whole house. And then we see here, at the end of verse 15, she says, look, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. We get the idea that she's like, listen, you guys are coming back to my house. i got a spare room, and you're staying there. So I don't know exactly when Paul arrived in Philippi, but it seemed likely, I mean, Paul didn't seem to take Sabbaths off. And so he probably the first Sabbath there, just a matter of days, they probably don't have a place to stay. They land in Philippi, they meet this lady, she gets saved, her whole house gets saved, gets baptized, and then they have a place to stay. They got a place to base out of it. And maybe they start having Bible studies in her house. How awesome is that? I think sometimes those of us that have been Christians a long time, it's easy to get a, a cold heart to the things of the God, right? How awesome it would be if someone next Sunday, uh, a lady comes in, she receives the Lord, she gets baptized, and she tells Pastor Wright, come back to my house. I want you to preach the gospel to my whole house. They get saved, they come back, and they publicly identify with Christ in baptism, and they join the church. Hopefully all of us would be excited, right, for that to happen. That's, I imagine that Paul and Silas were on cloud nine. So we see the conversion of a religious person, someone who was worshiping the Creator God but didn't probably know who Jesus was. Then the second person we're introduced to is the slave girl. I call her the spiritually captive. Look at verse 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So if we've got Lydia over here, she's got a business, she's got a family, she's got a house, she's a, a religious person, she's worshiping God. On the other end of the spectrum, we have this girl this, uh, that is that is held captive by this demonic spirit. And, and so, such so that she is a captive, not only to that demon, so she's a captive spiritually, she's a captive physically. She is held captive by these men that are making money off her. And this demon is giving her the power to, to tell people their future, essentially. And you imagine that if there was someone that was under the power of a demon and could actually tell people's future, people that were not of God would probably line up to give money for, to get their future told, right? So. She's being taken advantage of. She is held captive. She's spiritually held captive. She's not going to the prayer meeting on Saturday, on the Sabbath, right? Even if she wanted to, she couldn't. She is a slave. Look at what happens in verse 17. The same, this girl, followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, verse 18. So I don't know if she's following them. And the whole thing, the whole time she's saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God which showing us the way of salvation. She's saying it over and over again, or maybe she's blaspheming them. I don't know, but she's following them. And look what Paul does. I like Paul. He's hardcore. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit. He didn't even speak to the girl. He spoke directly to the demon, and he said, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Man, what power is there in the name of Jesus? That at the name of Jesus and the command in the name of Jesus, that demon left that girl. Verse nine, and, and really, we don't even see anything else about this girl. So we don't know if this girl, when that demon was lifted out of her, if, if, think about it, if under the power and presence of a demonic spirit, she cannot help but speak the truth about who they were. She wasn't lying, weren't they? Weren't they the ones that were showing people the way of salvation? Weren't they servants of the Most High God? So hopefully, we, don't, we, we can't see it because there's nowhere else written in Scripture. Hopefully when that demon was cast out of her, that she became converted. Maybe she went to Lydia's house. We don't see anything else about her. But at the very least, she was delivered from that demon. Look at verse 19. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they, they lost their money maker. They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. Uh, verse 20. And brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. 
and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. So here we're introduced to the third person. So as a reward for casting out this demon of this young girl, how are they rewarded? They're taken up in front of the leaders of the city, their clothes are taken off them, they're beaten, and then they're handed over to the third person that we, we see here, the Philippian jailer. I call him the skeptic, the Philippian jailer. Look at verse 24. Who, this jailer, having received such a charge, thrust them, that's Paul and Silas, into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So we get this idea. Uh, we won't have a show of hands today if anyone's been inside of a prison here. Perhaps you were there just visiting. But none of us probably today would want to spend any time inside of a prison, right? That would not be on our to-do list for spring break is spend time in the county jail. I could imagine that the jail in the first century Philippi probably was not a luxurious place to be. So we get this idea that they're thrown into jail, they're naked, they've been beaten, they're bloody, they're bruised, and we get an idea that they're in like the inner prison, the most secure place. Can you imagine what that must have smelt like? I imagine the sanitation wasn't very good there. And they got their feet fast in the stocks. Oftentimes Romans would uh, even sometimes suspend prisoners by, by uh, uh, ankle chains. It would be excruciating pain. Look at verse, verse 25. What, think about this. What would you do in that situation? I would, I can tell you truthfully, church, I would not do what they're about to do. I would probably be complaining. I'd be asking God why. Listen, God, I wanted to preach in Bithynia, but you told me I couldn't. And now I'm here where you told me to go. You, you introduced us to Lydia. That was a great start. And, and then I cast this demon out in your name. And how am I rewarded? I'm here in prison. But look what they did. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praise unto God, and the prisoners heard them. So instead of complaining, like probably most of us would have, if we're being honest, they're praying and singing praises to God. And my, my wife sometimes calls me the human microphone because I need no amplification when I sing. But this wasn't a timid prayer, right? This wasn't a timid song. This was a declaration of what they believed about God. This was a faith moment for them. And suddenly, verse 26, there was a great earthquake. Hey, we're in California. You all understand that, right? So that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. So those of you that have been through some, 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 uh, some, some earthquakes, I remember as a kid, there was, I don't remember what year it was, somewhere in the 90s, there was like a 7.5. And uh, you ever have a dream where you, you're, you're falling in your dream and you wake up like this? Well, I had that happen, only I was actually falling off the bunk bed and landed, you know, woke up mid-flight and landed on the ground because an earthquake had shaken me out of the bed. And I remember going and the, the pots and pans are coming out. And like all good Californians, we stand in a doorway or we get in the bathtub. I'm not sure why. It seems like it's a California thing. Maybe it was just my family. We were weird. I don't know. But we were all standing in opposite doorways thinking that that's going to protect us, right? Well, in this case, the earthquake's happening. The foundations, the very foundations of the prisons are shaking. But instead of it toppling over like it probably should have, the doors open, and, and the shackles come off their feet. Look at verse 20, uh, 27, and the keeper of the prison, this jailer that had taken charge of them, he awakens out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that this, the prisoners had been fled. So. He wakes up, he sees all this happening, he sees these doors open, he sees the, the shackles off, maybe the first guy he looks at, and he just pulls out his sword, he's thinking, listen, I'm going to, if I get caught with, a, with everyone escaping from my prison, I imagine he was not going to be dealt with very kindly. He probably thought, I'm going to get 
just going through incredible torment and be killed, so I'm just going to take care of myself right now and kill myself, because he thought everyone had left. But look at verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Like, there's some really cool miracles in this, these brief uh, verses of Scripture we're going through in the beginnings of the Church of Philippi. That's kind of a miracle right there. Think about it. If there was, a, if there was a, a something happened at, at St. Quentin, and, and, and there was an earthquake, and all of the doors open, and everybody that's in, you know, maximum security, all their shackles come off, do you think they're all going to stay in their cells? No, right? There's going to be a riot, and they're going to be everywhere, going everywhere. They're going to have to call in the National Guard to get them in. But somehow, in this case, they're all there. So I'm not sure what happened. We don't see it in the text. Maybe Paul just said, hey, listen, you guys heard me singing, praying to God. He just did that. Stay in your cells. Or maybe they were just terrified for what happened. I don't know, but they're all there. But the bigger question to me is, why is Paul there? Right? Wasn't Paul innocent of the charges? They were charging with insurrection against Rome. That was what he was doing, right? He was just freeing a girl from a demon. So why is he there? We see just a, a, couple chapter, uh, a couple chapters before in Acts chapter 12, and Peter had a similar situation, and he, he walked right out of the prison, went to the house of their praying for him. Remember that story? But Paul doesn't do that. Maybe Paul recognized that part of God's plan to reach Philippi was that he had to go through great difficulty. And part of the reason why he was thrown in that prison was for what happens right here. Look at verse 29. Then he called for a light, the jailer, and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. So Paul says, look, don't kill yourself. There's no need for that. We're all here. Paul could have just let him kill himself, right? And then he could have just walked right out of the prison, free. But he didn't do that. He came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, listen, whatever you have to do what you just did, I want to be a part of that. What do I need to do to be saved? It's so simple. Look at verse 31. And they said this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto the word of the Lord, and all that were in his house. So they tell him, listen, the gospel is simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they went back to his house, and they started showing him more about about the Word of God, and to everyone that was in his house. And look at this, verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. I don't know if he was a part of their beating, or maybe a witness to it, or at the very least he saw what condition they were in. But he then, this incredible conversion happens, and then he says, listen, come to my house. That was a big deal. He was probably going to lose his position, even if all the prisoners stayed there, by jailbreaking a couple guys out of jail and taking them into his home. And that same man that maybe was a part of the beatings or, or saw them or knew what happened, he begins mending their wounds, washing their, uh, their, their injuries. And then we see he was baptized, he and all his straight weight. So just in the, in the course of, I don't know, 25 verses, we've got a whole family being saved and baptized. Then we've got another whole family being saved and baptized. Verse 34, when he had brought them to his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing God with all his house. So we've got, in the beginnings of this church at Philippi, we've got a second family that receives the Lord through completely different circumstances. We've got this jailer who's a citizen of the, uh, of the, of, of the city of Philippi there, and probably pretty high up. Oftentimes, uh, the people that would run jails would be retired Roman soldiers, and so maybe he had commanded soldiers in that region, and he was taken over the jail. Whatever he was, he was a bit of a higher status in that city. And yet, when he saw the peace that Paul and Silas had, when he saw the joy they had in the midst of crazy, extravagant, horrible circumstances, he wanted to have a part of that. So what do we take away from this chapter, the beginnings of this church? The biggest takeaway I see is that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. I think we see in this chapter, at the very least, two people from different 
spectrums. And perhaps this young girl that was released from this demon. We see Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ, reaching people from different economic backgrounds, different ethnicities, different uh, uh, home countries, all because the gospel is for everyone. There was a prayer that Jewish men would uh, often pray from the prayer book of Siddhar, and it goes like this. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe. We say, yeah, okay, I believe that. Who has not made me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile? The, The Jewish people, specifically the Jewish men, were very proud of their status. And I look here at the beginnings of the church at Philippi, and who does God use to start the beginnings of this church? A woman, Lydia, and her household. Perhaps the slave girl, we don't know for sure. And a Gentile. And that's the beginnings of this church at Philippi. Because God has no respecter of persons. The Bible tells us that, that, there is, that, 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 that in Christ we are one people. So Lydia, the spiritually interested, what women do when we, because I think a lot of us, we encounter people like this, right? We might have them in our own family. We might have people that are religious. They believe in God. Maybe they even say they worship God. But you know by testimony that they are not a believer, that they are a Christian. And in some cases, that's because they just don't know the truth about who Jesus is. They may be locked up in some false religion where they believe they know the truth, but they don't actually have the truth. They may have part of the truth, but not the whole truth. We, like Paul did to Lydia, we have to teach them the truth. Teach them the truth from God's word, right? Teach them the truth about who Jesus is. That Jesus truly is the Son of God, the Messiah. And that there is only one way to redemption, and that's through Jesus Christ. When we run into those around us like the slave girl, uh, the spiritually captive, I think of this, of people that are, that, are, that are kept in chains of sin, kept in chains of addiction. We see them all the time. We see them especially here in Southern California, don't we? I wonder when we see those people, do we see them as image bearers of God? Do we see them as people as much in need of a Savior as us? I think it's, it's easy to judge, isn't it? Oh, if they would have just made these different life choices, they wouldn't be where they are. And that, there is some truth to that. But at the same time, We are no more precious in the eyes of God than they are. And when we see people like that, we have to show them that Jesus is the one who can deliver them from their pain. Jesus is the one who can deliver them from their pain. That Jesus is the one who can break the chains. Jesus has broken the chains of sin in my own life and probably in the lives of many of you here. And it's only through the power of Jesus that we can uh, continue to work towards our sanctification process as we go through life and hopefully as we get closer to Jesus. And one day when we take our final breath or He returns for us, that we will be glorified and we won't have to fight our sin nature anymore. But in the time that we are here, when we have those around us, maybe even our own family or friends or people that we see on the side of the road, can we show the love of Jesus to those people like Paul did to that girl? And maybe Paul did it because he was annoyed by her, I don't know, seems like it. But at the same time, He delivered her from the torment that was keeping her in chains. Then we see the jailer, the skeptic. We have to show them joy in the midst of pain and the extravagant grace of Jesus. We have people, all of us have people around us, whether it's in our family, our co-workers, our friends, people we go to school with, that are watching us. They know that you say you're a Christian. And they are watching you in your life to see is there evidence that backs that up? And I think one of the ways that you can really make an impact on those around you, especially in your close circle, is when you go through hard times, like Paul and Silas did, keeping your faith, showing joy, still following after God. I'm not trying to minimize hurt and pain, and probably in a a group this size, we could go around the auditorium for hours tonight, sharing burdens, prayer requests of things that are going on in our lives, or those around us that we love, and, and we're going through difficulties and hardships. But yet, in the midst of that, Sometimes, in the midst of, uh, of the, the diagnosis that you don't want, in the midst of uh, uh, the family member dying that you don't want, in the midst of all those things, 
if we can continue in the faith, there are going to be people around you, like the jailer, that say, listen, I've been, I know you're a Christian. I've been watching for a long time. But I don't know how you can go through that like you did and not be bitter, angry, upset, leave your faith. Well, I want to have what you have. There are going to be people around us that do that. So very quickly in closing, what happened to this small group of believers? Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. We see in Philippians 4 a beautiful picture of what happens when people are reached with the good news of Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, and we'll go up to verse 15 for sake of time. Philippians 4, 15. Paul is writing back to this church of Philippi, and imagine he's probably thinking back to maybe Lydia and her family, the jail and her family, and so many others that joined the church after that. Philippians 4.15, it says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. They're saying, listen, when I left you, no one cared for me, no one cared for me financially except for you. We know Paul wasn't a lazy man, right? Paul, in many cases, like when he, uh, would, would, would work with his own hands at times because he had no one supporting him. But he's writing back and he's saying, thank you. Because when I left, no one was caring for me but you. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again, you did it a second time under my necessity. I think this is an important verse right here, verse 17. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. An odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This was not a rich church. And yet they were caring for Paul. Why? Because Paul had brought this precious gift of the gospel to them. And they wanted that gift to go to other people. And as he's writing back thanking him for helping and supporting him, he's saying, listen, I want to thank you for that, but it's not because I want to, not because I needed a gift or I desired one or I wanted to be wealthy. It's because I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And, you know, I think that for all the missionaries like our family that you have faithfully supported and others, we could testify the same thing, that we're not in this to make money. And I don't know many good missionaries that couldn't use a lot more money and couldn't do a lot more good with it. But do it not because we're desiring gift or to get wealthy or attain, attain anything. Why? Because we want to desire to have fruit that may abound to your account. As your pastor mentioned, that every week with missionaries that this church supports around the world, that there are people that you will never meet this side of eternity that are hearing the gospel, many of them for the first time. And many of those people who receive the Lord, they are doing it in no small part because you're, because of your sacrificial giving to the work of the gospel here in your local community and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so it's because of that that the gospel goes forward. And we often think that the work of God goes forward through big churches and rich people and powerful leaders, but more often than not, God's mission is accomplished by a small group of people who believe in the power of the gospel to change lives. I wonder, do we believe in that? I believe in that with all my heart, that it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ that lives can be changed, not only for eternity, but here on earth. That, it, that the gospel can bring real joy, the gospel can heal hurt, and it can bring much fruit for Christ's kingdom. And it allows, your, your faithful support allows families like ours to go and do gospel ministry on your behalf. I encourage you, even this week, as you run into people around you, maybe in, in, in your work or at home or your neighbors, there's going to be people around you. Think about these people that made up the beginnings of this church. Think about the religious people you have in your life that, uh, that, 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 that have not heard the, true, the truth about who Jesus really is. Man, you could be the human instrument that God uses to bring someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you see people around you like that slave girl that are, that are captive in chains of bondage, if you see someone that's begging on the side of the road, I want to encourage you, go and help them. 
You buy them a meal, but on top of that, talk to them. I can, a couple different times, I, 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 I have, for one, a number of different times, I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to do things like that, and I've not done it, to my shame. And I, I come up with excuses, right? I'm busy. i got to be here. And those are true things that sometimes you do. But there have been other times where I could have carved out some time. And there have been, thankfully, a few times where I have followed the Spirit's leading and bought someone a meal and sat there and just talked to them about their life story and as people will open up to you when you, when you stop and care for them. And it's not us who can do the saving, it's God who does the saving, right? But we can be His witnesses. And if you come up against people like the jailer, uh, those that maybe are watching or are skeptical, you can be the one. You can, as you go through trials and pain and difficult times, as you keep your faith, as you keep your joy, as you continue worshiping God, you could be the one that can lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and many years later, like Paul did to these groups of people, you could th- you think back and think of the times that you gave sacrificially to the work of the ministry, gave sacrificially to the mission so that the gospel can go forward to other people. And, and man, it's just incredible to be a part of the work of God. Thank you so much, church. So let's pray. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.